Well, you can go ahead and grab a seat. It is so good to be together here in the house of the Lord, worshiping on the Lord's day together. And uh, man, I've already said it uh, to many of you, but it is good to see smiles. It's good to see faces. It is uh, feels a bit odd, right? Can we say that? Just like sort of uh, after a year of that. I know that I've seen some of you doing this. Uh, I've, I found myself doing it the same same way. You know, we've already kind of made the joke. We got to like probably break out some name tags, um, right? Because uh, you don't really recognize, put that mask on, and like, oh, there you are. But you see it without the face. You're like, I've never seen your face before, um, which may be a good thing or a bad thing. Who knows? You can figure, figure that out, but it is good to be able to gather in this way. I would say this, uh, you sound fantastic this morning. Uh, The voices, you can hear the voices. Uh, Maybe you're just a little bit more willing to sing out and and can breathe a little bit easier. So we are glad for that. Those of you that are uh, joining us from um, home or from online, wherever you might be, so glad that you can be with us. Uh, Even though you are far away, we're glad uh, to have you here. And we're, we're continuing in this season. I know that like each change and transition sort of brings like uh, you know, uncertainty, and some of us like love change and have been waiting for this day for a long time. Some of us have been kind of, you know, kind of pretending like this day was here a long time ago, right? And others of us um, are a little bit, a uh, little bit nervous or kind of timid about that. And so, you know, we're going to continue to do what we can to um, just kind of walk in grace together uh, with this. And so, um, you know, we're kind of our, our side aisles are are still sort of spaced out, and so that's a great place to distance if you want to. Um, if you guys picked that and didn't know that, that's great. You're you're in great shape. If not, then you know. And then this is just sort of where all the holy kisses and you know the fun kind of happens right here in the in the center here. Um, that's a Bible joke. We looked at the Holy Kiss a few weeks ago, and so um, if that sounds odd, then just forget I said that. So, um, you know, I wanted to uh, just kind of give us a bit of an update uh, as we are approaching the end of our series here that we are in called Living Hope. And I uh, just want to tell you where we're kind of going for the next several weeks together, and uh, so you can kind of plan accordingly. Um, we, As we arrive here at the beginning of summer, um, we are, uh, there's going to be a few weeks where I'm going to be gone, and my family as well. Um, I just got to tell you this, the, this year, uh, over the last year, 13, 14 months, um, has been a long year. Okay, I know you can probably relate to that. And um, on top of that, the year before was actually our first year in the building. And so that was kind of a long year. And so to be honest with you, I have not really uh, gotten uh, much of a break or taken a whole lot of time out of the pulpit. If you've been here or joining us online, you know that I'm here most every week. You could probably count on one hand the number of weeks that I haven't. And uh, that's not the best for me, and it's not the best for you. Uh, You want me to take a break. You really do. Um, You're probably tired of hearing from me, you're like, yes, thank the Lord. Like, there's going to be some um, some fresh. So we're we're excited that we're going to have some um, some guests preaching over the next uh, several uh, weeks. Not guests, even they're familiar to us, but um, new and and exciting uh, for that. So next week we're actually going to be finishing up the series, and our very own uh, Jeff Franklin is going to be bringing the word next week. So we're excited about that. I think that's all your small group, Jeff. Cheering for you there. So um, we're excited to uh, have him wrap up the series uh, with us as we conclude Living Hope. And then I'm going to be back um, for uh, Father's Day, uh, the the 20th. We're going to start a new series uh, that we're going to carry us through the summer. We're going to look at um, the promises of God and who he is and just his character and focus on that. And, um, you know, I know a lot of times... uh, 
the summer is a great chance to look at the Psalms, look at the Proverbs. I'll be honest, I was like, ah, I don't know if I really want to do the Psalms. But then I started studying some Psalms and started looking at some things around the promises of God. And you know what? I'm excited about it. There's a reason why Psalms are great for the summer. And so we're going to look at the promises of who God is from the Psalms this summer. And so we're going to, we're going to take uh, most of uh, July um, and uh, maybe a little into August looking at that. And so uh, Pastor Blake is going to be preaching a couple weeks there. We're going to have uh, maybe another guest as well. Um, where am I going to be? That might be a question you're asking. Uh, well, my wife and I and our kids, we're heading down to um, uh, Nashville for a week. We're going to hang out with family. Uh, there's also a conference happening down there. And so we're going to be uh, there for a little bit. And then, um, then after that is going to be a vacation out in Boise, Idaho. My uh, youngest sister, who I have um, 15, almost 16 years on, is getting married. And so I'm um, excited about that. And so we're going to be out there for the wedding. And when you fly seven kids, you don't do it for three or four days. So we're flying out there and we're going to stay there for a couple weeks, okay? We're going to just enjoy and be on vacation. And then the week following that, I'm actually going to unplug um, up north and uh, going to just spend some time um, seeking the Lord uh, for this year ahead, planning, prepping, um, getting uh, kind of our sermon, um, teaching calendar ready, uh, just praying over some things that God's doing in our midst and kind of getting ready for the year. Need that time away. If you don't have that time, I would, I would encourage you to do, do that. Maybe it doesn't need to be a week, but even for your family to just kind of take some time, step back and plan and ask God, where are you leading? Where are you going? What are you doing right now? And so that's what that week's going to be. And then come um, mid-July, I will be back and locked and loaded and excited, like be ready for that Sunday, because I, I, I have not been out of the pulpit for that long in, in a while, and so um, I'm excited about that. I say all that, or let you know all that, just to say, um, if I'm a little hard to get a hold of for the next few weeks, that is intentional. Uh, you probably won't hear much from me. Um, don't worry. I'm fully confident. We have a great staff, great leaders, great um, you know, team here at the church, and uh, I know things are not going to fall apart. It's a good reminder. It doesn't all depend on me, and so you guys are going to be just, just fine, and, um, and can't wait to uh, return and be back uh, with you uh, in that way. And then um, the other thing I want to say, too, is just I appreciate you, appreciate our elders uh, recognizing that and kind of giving some space, giving some time. Um, you know, it's, it's important. We need those rhythms in our life. We need times of rest and um, refreshment and time with the Lord in that way. And so um, thankful to be a part of a family that sees and values that. And so that's kind of what's coming for the next couple weeks. Like I said, I'll see you again in two weeks, but just wanted to give you a bit of a preview for where we are going. All right, well, go ahead and grab your copy of Scripture, if you haven't yet, and you can open up to the book of 2 Thessalonians. We are uh, coming up to the end of our series that we have been in now for a couple months called Living Hope. And uh, this morning, uh, as we look at this passage, I just kind of want to ask this question. Um, I think I know the answer, at least I hope I know the answer. Um, do you, uh, with your personal finances, your money, uh, do you entrust a bank uh, to hold on to that for you? My guess is that for most of you, that is a yes. If it's a no, please do not raise your hand, okay? We don't want to know um, that it would be a bad, you know, don't give that away. If, that's, if the mattress plan or something is else is kind of how you, you know, hole in the backyard, that sort of thing is how you uh, manage your money, don't, don't let us know that. But I think for most of us, we would say that um, whether it be a lot or a little, uh, we have some money in a bank somewhere. 
And uh, have you ever thought like why you are willing to trust a bank with all of your financial resources? Um, hopefully you've given some thought to that. You didn't just hand it over without thinking. I know that's just kind of common. That's what we do. But one reason that you probably are willing to do that, whether you're aware of it or not, is uh, this thing called the FDIC. Do you know about this, the FDIC? The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, right? I see a couple bankers nodding their heads. They're like, yeah, we know about that, yeah. You know, well, you're, here's the deal. Your bank, wherever you have your money, um, if they are FDIC insured, they pay premiums for this federally backed insurance, all right? And this insurance protects you, the depositor, the, the owner of the money, against any sort of failure or theft uh, on the part of the bank, um, right? If the bank were to be robbed or if the bank were to fail, you are protected up to $250,000 per account uh, per depositor, all right? That's kind of standard. Um, the way. And so here's the thing is that this was founded in 1933. This, this agency, uh, this federally backed program was put in place. And since 1933, not one depositor has lost a single penny of insured funds because of this program. That's pretty successful, right? Like that's, there is uh, security in knowing that. And so as you entrust your money to them, you can be confident that it is in good hands, that there is a confidence in doing that. See, this is the reason, because of the assurance that we have, the trust that we have, that we are able to put um, our resources into a bank. And one of the things that is very common, if you were to walk into the bank, they put that little sign right there on the window as you walk in. So you see that, right? That FDIC, you see it, you know it. If you're on their website, you see it, you know it because they want you to have confidence. Hey, you can trust us with your money. Now, what I would say that I wanna kind of carry this over, take the same idea and think about uh, the promises and the character and the faithfulness of God. And I want us to think about God's faithfulness the confidence that we can have in him in the exact same way. This morning, the title of the sermon is Faithfulness on Display, and we want to look at the faithfulness of God. Because throughout scripture and throughout uh, God's working in human history, we have these little markers, these little signs, there is displays of God's continued faithfulness in our life. And we can have confidence in him and we can have confidence in his working and in his ability to provide and in his ability to respond and in his uh, power to work in the way that needs to happen. He is, as we've been talking about in this series, the source of our living hope. And the passage that we're looking at this morning speaks to the faithfulness of God and the confidence that we can have in that. Because of who God is, because of the way that he has worked and shown himself, we can have confidence in his faithfulness. So let me do this. Let me read the passage that we're going to study this morning, and then um, we're going to walk, walk our way through it. But let me just begin by reading it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, that we may be delivered and uh, from, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ." 
Here is this central idea that we're gonna see in this passage this morning and what I'm getting at with this illustration about the confidence we put in our banks. The confidence that we put in the Lord should be even more, it's this, is that the faithfulness of the Lord is put on full display so that our living hope may be found confidently in him. See, the reason that we, this whole series, we've been talking about the living hope that we find in Jesus Christ, in our heavenly Savior, in our heavenly Father, the faithfulness of the Lord is the reason for this confidence, and it's put on full display so that we may be found, our hope may be found confidently in him. This is what we're gonna see in this passage this morning of, the, I think there's four displays of the faithfulness of God that we can have confidence in him, in his working, in his providence, in our life. And we wanna see that. This is gonna give us assurance this morning so we can trust him more fully. Let me just pray as we uh, walk through this passage together. Our God, we now approach your word uh, with humility, God, with longing to hear from you, with the desire, God, that you would instruct us and work. Lord, we've already... Uh, given praise to you and worshiped you through song. God, we now wanna give praise to you and worship you through uh, our study of your word. God, we acknowledge this morning that this is from you and God, that you have revealed yourself to us. You've told us things about yourself. You've told us um, how you're working and the way that you're present in our lives. And so Lord, I ask that we would see that and we be reminded of that, that we would learn that afresh this morning. God, I pray that you'll teach us and instruct us now as we study your word. We do this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so what we're gonna see this morning is four displays of God's faithfulness that we might have greater confidence in our living hope in him. Here's the first one. It's this, that the Lord's faithfulness displayed by answering our prayers for gospel impact. We see the Lord's faithfulness displayed by answering our prayers for gospel impact. All right, look back at your copy of scripture and let's kind of walk through it slowly. This is what we like to do, line by line, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. It says this, finally, brothers. All right, so finally, this is an indication that Paul is kind of wrapping things up. Like any good preacher, though, he's got a few more things to say. It doesn't mean that it's totally the end, but the end is near. Uh, it's also an indication that he's already dealt with the main part that he wants to deal with. If you were here with us last week, we said this is kind of the reason for the letter, right? He wanted to deal with some uh, misunderstandings, some fears, some anxiety regarding the day of the Lord. So having addressed that, having talked about these um, end time matters, he now turns to a new subject and says, finally, brothers. And what he's about to do is he's going to instruct them in one final area, one final thing that he wants to challenge them in, but before doing that, he wants to remind them of God's faithfulness. The instruction that he's going to give, which we're gonna see next week, is sort of framed up and couched and sort of uh, on this understanding of who God is and the way that he is working. So this is important for us. We need this. We'll better understand next week's challenge by understanding uh, this promise here for us today. So finally, brothers, the instruction is this. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. 
little bit of history, little reminder, right? When Paul says pray for us, he's referring to the ministry team that was part of founding and starting the church there in Thessalonica. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they came to that city, they preached the gospel, and many responded. They then were sort of driven out of town not too long after the church began, and they continued on going among the cities and proclaiming the gospel. And so Paul, now writing back to them, having received word of God's faithfulness to them, their continued steadfastness in the Lord, he's now asking, hey, church in Thessalonica, would you pray for us? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for Silas? Would you pray for Timothy? As we continue to share the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord there is the gospel. It is the good news that Jesus Christ was the son of God. He came He gave his life up as a ransom for many that the sins of the world would be forgiven through belief in Jesus Christ, that any would receive him, that any would respond to his saving work, that he would say that this is the message of the gospel, the message of salvation. And what Paul's prayer is, he says, hey, would you pray for us that as we share this word, the word of the Lord, the gospel, that it would speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. He reminds them, this is exactly what happened. When we came, the word of the Lord spread and it was honored here in this place. We're praying that that would happen again in the next city, in the next city where we are currently. This is what he is asking prayer for. There's kind of three things that we see that this this prayer for us, this pray for us that he's asking. The first part of the prayer, um, as I already said, is, is, is that the gospel would, would uh, speed ahead. What he's saying there is that the gospel would spread rapidly. That's the first kind of part request of the prayer, that the gospel would spread rapidly. The word of the Lord is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, that, that it would be heard and it would be repeated and that more and more would respond to it. And that's the second part, right? That the gospel would be honored. What he's saying there when it says that it would be honored, that hearts would respond, that hearts would receive, that they would recognize it as the truth that they would understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, that I am a sinner in need of a savior and Jesus is that savior, that they would begin to follow and they would begin to uh, recognize him as Lord and savior in their lives, that hearts would respond. He's asking for them to pray that it would take hold and that lives would be changed by believing the gospel. And the third part of the prayer is this, is that the gospel would not be hindered. That's the next verse. Let's read that, verse two that we may be delivered from evil or from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. The third part of Paul's ask for a prayer is that the gospel would not be hindered by those who stand opposed to the work of God. He's praying against the efforts of wicked and evil men. And let's be clear about this. The gospel is for sinners, (laughs) right? It's for those wicked and evil men. It is for those who are opposed to God. The gospel is the good news of hope, right? All of us are in rebellion. We are born in rebellion. We choose to rebel against God. And so we are, by nature, wicked and evil. But when Paul is using these words, he's kind of using them with a little bit different of an emphasis. What he's saying here by calling them wicked and evil men, it's not just this passive sort of stance towards the gospel, What he's praying against, what he's asking for prayer against by the people is that they would pray against those who had sort of taken up an active opposition to the gospel. 
These wicked and evil men had chosen that they were gonna stand opposed to the message of Jesus Christ. And so they're, they're antagonistic toward it. They're, they're standing um, in, 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 in uh, opposition and in defense of that and trying to thwart whatever effort Paul, Silas, Timothy, anything they're trying to do, these men are standing opposed to it. In saying that they're evil men, it's that they're rather actively choosing evil They're causing harm to others. They themselves are corrupt and they're seeking to actively corrupt others. Paul's mentioned such people in his other letters. We don't know the specifics of what these wicked, these evil men are. Our best guess would be that it's those that are there with him in Corinth. We're pretty sure Paul's writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica from Corinth. There was an active opposition, an active group of men, women, standing opposed to the gospel there. And so what Paul's saying is, listen, we're praying that the gospel would speed ahead, that it would be honored, that it would take root, that it would take hold, right? And that we would be delivered from these men, that they would not thwart what God is doing. Why? Why is he asking for prayer from that? Why does he say all this? Well, we see the answer to this question right there at the end of verse two. He says, for not all have faith. What a pretty simplistic statement to make, right? Not all have faith. I think we could safely call that an understatement. If you're like, well, that's a bit of an understatement. Yeah, like that's the point. Paul's trying to make an understatement. The reason he's making an understatement is he's trying to make an emphatic point by putting it in there. He's saying, listen, yeah, not all have faith. More accurately said, it would say most don't have faith. Most do not believe the gospel. Most are standing opposed to the way of the Lord. And so we need your prayers, church. We need your prayers that the gospel would take root, that it would be honored, and that it would not be stopped. You see, the reason, the reason that Paul wants to make this point is this, is that more do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ than do. Is this a surprise to you? Do you know this to be true? I would think that this uh, is kind of basic for us, especially living in a city um, like Madison and the surrounding area, right? We, we could accurately say uh, that the number of people who follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are far, far, far fewer than those who do. In fact, that was one of the things that drew my wife and I to the city of Madison to plant a church here in this city is because we believe this, that many do not have faith in Jesus Christ and many have not heard or have not yet responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. See, we carry with us, church, good news of the gospel. The word of the Lord is good news. It is a message of a savior that has come to those in need of a savior. It is forgiveness for sinners. It is hope for um, the, the wicked. It is, uh, it is life eternal for those who are dead in their sin. And most do not have this faith. Most have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus himself said that this was going to be the case, so we should not be surprised by this. In Matthew 7, Jesus said this. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. 
See, Jesus was super, super clear with his followers. He said, listen, many, many will not respond. Many, many will follow this wide, easy road leading to destruction. Few, few will follow this narrow road. Few will follow me. Few will be in this place. And so Paul, he's saying, listen, he says, church, you gotta be praying that the word of the Lord would go forth, that these wicked, evil men would not stop because they need faith. And God answered these prayers. Do you know that this call for prayer was answered by God? See, this should encourage us in the faithfulness. This is a display of God's faithfulness to his church. Paul was asking for prayer for gospel impact and God responded and answered. See, even the church that he's writing to, right? He says, as happened among you, the church in Thessalonica was the answer to many prayers. As Paul set out on that missionary journey, taking the gospel to people who had not yet heard, he prayed and many others joined with him. He was sent out by a team of leaders there in Jerusalem, praying that as he went forth, that the gospel would be received by many and that people would respond. And so even this church in Thessalonica is an answer to prayer. And now as he's writing from Corinth and he's seeking to establish a church there, he's asking that the prayers would be answered. And we know the impact of the gospel as it went forth, not just by Paul, but by the many men and women that carried it, we know that God answered prayer over and over again because one church was started, then another church was started, then the gospel spread here, then the gospel spread there to the point that here we are 2,000 years later and we are still preaching and proclaiming that same message of hope. Listen, the gospel lives. The gospel, the word of the Lord goes forth. There is answered prayer in this. Our church, this church, city on a hill, right now in the year 2021 is an answer to the prayers of God's people that the gospel would go forth. I like to remind us every once in a while that we are still a new church ourselves. By all standards, we are still a church plant. That's what they call it in the church world, right? We are three and a half coming up on four years old. We are like a large toddler, okay? And uh, we're like a large toddler that, that got his own space. Um, and uh, we are here and we're, uh, we're, we're in this, this, this facility. We have some, some resources, but we are still a relatively new work. I gotta tell you, the reason that this church was planted was as a result of the prayers of God's people. As my wife and I packed up our belongings and, and drove up to Chicago to begin a residency in Chicago for church planting, we were sent out by a church of several hundred people praying for us, praying over us, giving of their resources. Do you know that people that you've never met before this was ever a thing gave sacrificially that God would establish a church somewhere? We didn't even know as we were driving away where that was going to be. God directed our hearts toward the city of Madison, and now we're here in the neighborhood of Fitchburg, the city of Fitchburg, and we have been brought here, again, through the prayers of God's people. As we gathered together as a small group of people, it began with just 13 people meeting in the living room over in the Maple Grove neighborhood. I can take you to the house. It's, it's, uh, it's Brad and Steph Rollins, still part of our church today. We met there. We started meeting in their living room. And slow by, slowly by slowly, little by little, one by one, more began to be added to our number that were part of this work. And I gotta tell you, what we did most of the time for the majority of the night as we gathered together is we prayed. We prayed that God would work. There were five things that we put down on a piece of paper. We prayed for God's presence, that he would be working, that his presence would be felt, and that he would be experienced. We prayed for people 
that God would send more people to be a part of this work, that he would save more people as a result of this work. We prayed for a place. We knew that we couldn't be in the living room forever, right? Uh, especially Brad and Steph, we're praying for a place uh, that we were gonna be able to move to. We moved from the living room uh, to uh, this little Lutheran church kind of off Whitney Way um, that wasn't doing anything on Sunday nights and they uh, gave us a key and we gave them like a couple hundred bucks and they let us use their space um, every Sunday night. That was kind of our new home. We moved from there to Memorial High School, which is where we launched out of. We were praying for a place to be able to meet. We were praying for partners we knew that we couldn't do it by ourselves. that just this little group, how foolish would it be, right? For this little group of, of 13, 20, 30, 40 people that was growing there to do it all on our own. When there's other churches and other ministry partners and people around, so we were praying for partners and people began to come alongside us. Churches began to give and contribute to the work. Uh, one of our sending churches, our coaching church, Harvest Rochester, they took up a special offering. The entire offering was given toward us. It was some $20,000 that were given that Sunday morning, which just accelerated our ability to be able to launch. I mean, there were partners that came alongside us in that, and we were praying all the while for provision, that God was gonna meet every need that we had, and he did along the way. He did. He provided everything that we needed. We were able to acquire all the stuff you need, right? We had sound equipment, we had children's ministry um, equipment for uh, toys and, and different things. And man, we met in that high school and we transformed those classrooms into um, fun, uh, fun little places. One of the comments was my favorite comment ever that a uh, guest uh, visitor with us, they said, you know what, I've been to a lot of churches. I think the classrooms that you guys have here in this school are cooler than a lot of church classrooms that I've been in. I mean, because we, we, we put up like fabric all around the room. It was hanging from the ceiling and we put down foam tile and we had all these toys in there. It looked awesome. Like it was so, so conducive for being able to care for and love on and teach these little children the gospel. And that was a lot of work, especially in the summer, Right. Oh, even more so in the winter, right? When those locks were frozen and uh, they had to get out the blowtorch and um, heat up the uh, padlocks to be able to move the trailer or sometimes when that snow was coming. Um, I mean, we had so much, so many, I can tell you story after story, even looking around the room, I'm remembering sacrifice, like a couple family on our, our core team purchased a truck. Well, I think the husband used it as a good reason to get a truck so that they could carry one, our trailers uh, from High Point Church just down the road to Memorial High School. I mean, there's just all these things that God did to do that. You know how that all happened? It was the answer to the prayers of his people. See, there were churches and believers, families, individuals praying all over the country for this church. And so we are sitting here as beneficiaries of God's gracious working. Some of you, some of you, you have no idea about some of those days. Some of you, you have no idea what had happened. You are merely benefiting from, again, the people that have gone before and who have prayed that the word of the Lord would speed ahead and that it would be honored and that we would be delivered from wicked and evil men. I'll never forget, we were running one of our Facebook ads, kind of trying to get the word out about the church in the early days, and somehow it got on some site or somebody where we just had this onslaught of people like just attacking us. Like, what are you doing? Why, we don't need another church. Like all, this, like all these things, all these attacks. And I was like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Like that doesn't happen in the South, right? I just done ministry for 11 years with my wife down in North Carolina. That, that kind of attack doesn't happen. I'm like, what are we doing? We're coming here to this place where people are going to stand opposed to the work that God is doing. But listen, God is faithful. 
See, not all have faith. That is why we are here, because we want to share the hope of the gospel so that all would believe. And we know that not all will believe, but we wanna share it with all so that all can believe. This is what we've been called to do. Now brings us to the action step that we can take together as a church. It is not uh, coincidental or unintentional that we announce the name of this church that we are planting together as a church down in Monroe. Listen, church, this is our work. We are the coaching sending church for Redemption Church down in Monroe. And we need to rally together and we need to pray for this church more than anything. See, we're gonna need to give, there's a lot of things that we're gonna be able to give toward them. We'll be able to go and volunteer. We'll be able to um, you know, give them some of our equipment. We'll be able to uh, give financially at some point. Some of you already have or have been doing that. That's all great. What we need more than anything right now is the prayers of God's people. And I promise you this, that God will be faithful to answer those prayers. Now, let me be clear what I mean by that. It is not a for sure thing when you launch a church, okay? Statistically, most churches do not get off the ground and even fewer last beyond two, three, four years. Like the, the trend is sort of like, so we're already breaking all sorts of you know, norms here. This is not a sure thing. So just because God did it once doesn't mean he's gonna do it again in the same way. But what I mean by God will be faithful is I promise you this, that whether the church launches or doesn't, we're praying it does, right? With expectation, we're praying it does. And whether or not it launches when we want or when we expect or how we want, all of these things, I know this, is that the word of the Lord will go forth. It already is. The word of the Lord is already working through this core team of believers that is seeking the face of the Lord and asking that God would establish a new work there in Monroe, that he would come alongside, that he would add to the work that he's already doing there. And listen, church, we need to do what Paul is asking for here, that we would pray for the work there. So let's commit to this. There's a reason uh, why when you came in on your chair, there was that little prayer card. Can you take that? Can you put that somewhere? Can you hang it on your fridge? Can you uh, put it in your car? Can you put it in your Bible? Wherever you're gonna see it, that you would be able to pray. Those of you that are watching from home, if you're maybe watching this later, we're gonna have these cards available in our church lobby. And so come by and get one or make up your own, just a little reminder or something that you can remember. And let's commit to be praying this summer for the church of Monroe. On the back, you're gonna find those same five things that we prayed for as a church. We wanna pray for them. We wanna pray for God's presence, for his provision, for partners to come alongside, for people, for a place for them to meet. All these things we wanna to continue to pray. I'll tell you this, when we were praying together as a church plant, as a core group, and we saw those things begin to be answered, it's like check, check, check. People came, check, place was getting provision was given, partners came, God's presence was seen and felt, we saw him working. It was so amazing to see the answered prayers of God's people for gospel impact. What are we looking at today? We're looking at the full display of God's faithfulness so that we would have confidence in him. We are reminded of his faithfulness because the word of the Lord goes forth. It goes forth. This is the heartbeat of our church. This is not the last time we're gonna plant a church, I promise you that. We wanna see more and more churches planted. Wanna see them planted far, we wanna see them planted close. We wanna see churches planted around the Madison area. We're praying that God would raise up. Even some of you, I don't know what God's gonna do in you. I would love to see people from our church called toward a life of uh, service, whether that's vocational or non-vocational, but that we would be able to send people out into the harvest 
that the word of the Lord would go forth. This is what we are praying for, God's faithfulness displayed when we see these prayers answered. Let's continue on. Verse two, or sorry, point two, coming from verse three. Let me read the verse and then I'll give it to you. It says this, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Here's the second display we see of the Lord's faithfulness. It's this, the Lord's faithfulness displayed by guarding us against the evil one. By guarding us against the evil one. I love this simple truth, the way that it's simply uh, portrayed here, but such a complex, rich, deep truth that we need to know about our Lord. It's this, that the Lord is faithful. When Paul uses the word there, the Lord, he most commonly, almost always uses that to describe Jesus Christ. And so we're referring here to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is faithful. The Lord is faithful. And because Jesus Christ is faithful, Paul can say with confidence that he will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. I love the two parts of this, right? He's going to establish them. He's going to firmly plant them in the truth of who God is and the power of his working and the truth of his word and he's going to guard. It's this ongoing protection, this building up, this, this, um, this pouring into, this, this uh, uh, you know, coming alongside and, and protecting in this way from what? From the evil one. Let's be clear about something. There is an enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's referred to throughout uh, scripture as uh, Satan or the devil or here in this passage, the evil one. Uh, he is not the source of evil, rather he is one of its primary uh, proponents of it. He stands directly opposed to the work of the Lord. And the evil one is against any who would follow after the living God. He knows the truth of who God is and yet he has chosen to act in opposition to him. And so what Paul is praying here, what he's trusting in for is that God will establish the church and will guard it against the attacks of the evil one. You see, we have to understand for us today what this means and what it doesn't mean. Because I think what we might be uh, quick to do is to apply it in a way that's different than what is intended. Let me start by saying what it doesn't mean. What this does not mean to be established and guarded against the evil one is that you are never attacked, okay? God guarding against the evil one doesn't mean that you're never attacked, that there's never opposition, that there's never difficulty, that there's never uh, you know, moments of doubt or, or moments where, where there is severe attack in your life. That is not what it means. If you think that, then you're gonna be um, in for a sad awakening, a, a, a hard surprise. What it does mean is that when the evil one does attack, it means that God will sustain through that attack, that he will provide, that he will be faithful. We see this from a variety of verses. First uh, Peter 5.8 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
we understand that the devil is, again, actively opposed to the work of the Lord. And he is seeking, he's crafty, he's trying to devour us, he's trying to devour anyone whom he could. And so our response is this, that we are sober-minded, that we're watchful, that we're looking for this. It doesn't mean that he's not going to attack, it means that he's going to, we need to be ready for it. Let me give you another verse, Ephesians 6, 16. It says this, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You see, our faith in God and his power and his presence and his working and in the saving work of the gospel is that defense that we have been given to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Again, what it's not saying is, is that the evil one will never shoot these flaming darts at you. He loves to shoot flaming darts. It's like his favorite thing to do. He's always shooting flaming darts. Now, not everything in our life is a result of that. Let's be, you know, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that every work, everything is, is, is from the devil. The devil's doing this. The, the evil one is doing this. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there are many times that the evil one is shooting these darts at us. The way that we stand opposed to it, the defense that we've been given is our shield of faith. It's our trust in the faithfulness of God. And it extinguishes these flaming darts. Let me give you one more verse. It's this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is one that I would encourage you, if you have not yet memorized, this is a good one to memorize, have in your back pocket, have available. A reminder of this is that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He has never promised that you would not be tempted. Rather, he has promised that when you are tempted, it will never be beyond your ability to endure it, that he is graciously giving and working in you. What a good reminder for us. So let's be clear. It says, he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So this is not a promise that the attacks won't come, rather a promise that they won't succeed. This is a promise the tax of the evil one will not succeed. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. He will protect you. He will sustain you. If your trust is in him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the battle is already won, okay? It is already decided. Victory is certain. He does not have the power over you that he once did. See, God is the one that establishes and he's also the one that keeps you. He guards you. He provides cover and protection. Nothing will come against you that you cannot bear, don't miss this, with his help. Nothing will come against you that you cannot bear with his help. That last part is super, super important. If you forget that, then you're misapplying it. You see, God will most certainly allow things to come against you that you cannot bear. Have you ever heard that said? We've tried to dispel this. Let me just go ahead and like re-up this again. That phrase that God will never give you more than you can handle, like wrong, okay? If you ever hear someone say that, correct them. That's not true. If that's written on a coffee cup, like smash that coffee cup, okay? Nobody, the Bible never says that God will not give you more than he can handle. He gives you more than you can handle all the time. All the time, we have story after story, example after story of God giving people more than they can handle. What's missing? He will not give you more than you can handle with his help. He is faithful. He can provide. On your own, no, you can't handle it. 
With his help, yes, you can. God will most certainly give you more than you can bear on your own. He will never, never give you more than he can bear. God will give you more than you can bear. He will never give you more than he can bear. And so in that, we turn to him in desperation, in need, in seeking, in longing, knowing that he establishes, that he guards, and that he is the one who's going to protect. Jesus Christ is faithful. Let's keep moving. Let me give you the third one, and I'll show it to you in scripture. It's this, the Lord's faithfulness displayed by blessing us through obedience to him. By blessing us through obedience to him. Verse four says this, we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Confidence in the working and the blessing of the Lord. Where does this come from? Where does this confidence in the Lord come from? Well, this confidence of God's blessing and working in their life is this, is that they are doing and that they will do the things that God commands. They are speaking for God in this case. When he's saying, hey, we are commanding you these things. They're not just saying like, this is, you're doing what Paul and Silas have told you to do. He's saying, when you're doing what we command, you're doing what God commands, right? As they're speaking to them, as they're teaching them, they are communicating the words of the Lord. So that's super important that we understand. It's not just following the words of men, it's following the words of the Lord. Let me give an example. You know, my kids, they love to come to me. I've told you this before. My kids do some wrong things sometimes. Anyone else? Yeah, that happens in our house. And so they come to me and they issue a complaint. They said, I would like to issue a complaint against one of my sisters, against my brother. Okay, what's this complaint? And then they'll tell me whatever happened, right? And sometimes, depending on the situation, I can't get up or stop what I'm doing or I don't feel like it, I don't want to, whatever it is. So what I'll do, just being honest, right? All for honesty in church. And so what I'll do is I'll say, well, go back and tell them dad said to stop. What am I doing in that situation? I'm giving them like an edict from dad, right? Carry this thing, tell them dad said to stop. It's not your sister telling you to stop. It's not your brother telling you to stop. It's dad saying that you stop. So now if they take that message back, then it is, they're not listening to uh, just their sister. They're not listening to dad. And that has some different consequences, all right? What Paul is saying here when he says, listen, <laughs> he says, we have confidence about you that you are doing and you will do the things that we command. It's not so much that they were commanding it, it's that God was commanding it. He was using them to communicate that, all right? So understanding that, let's just step back and understand that these are not the words of men. These are the words of God. This scripture, this book that we have here, this is the word of God. And it is the faithfulness of God on full display. And he is blessing us through obedience to him. Now, if we're not careful, we might, uh, we might mistake what I'm saying or misapply this point. See, listen, I, when I kind of wrote this point, I intentionally chose this word, blessing us through obedience to him. But if you look at scripture, hopefully your little bell is going off and you're like, wait a second, it doesn't say anything about blessing here. Where are we getting that from? The reason I chose this word blessing and I wanna tie it to God's confidence is this, is that the blessing of obedience is in obedience itself. I think so many times we think that obedience is going to lead to some greater blessing. The blessing is the obedience. Here's what I mean by that, is that we have to understand first and foremost the motivation for obedience. The motivation that we obey God is this, it's God's love for us. We obey because God loved us and we love him. We don't do it to earn his love. We don't do it to earn more credit with him or more points with him. Listen, God is as much pleased with you in Jesus Christ as he will ever be. 
You cannot add one thing to the work that Jesus Christ has done. So if you think for a second that your obedience is going to earn you greater favor with God, greater providence, greater blessing because of what you've earned or achieved, that's just not true. Everything that you have for you is earned by the grace of Jesus Christ and the work that he has accomplished, finished work on the cross. So our motivation for obedience is our love for God and God's love for us. Our desire for obedience is this, is that we desire to see God's working in our life. He empowers our obedience. So when we obey, we don't do so in our own strength, in our own working. What Paul is recognizing here is is what he says. He's like, I have confidence in the Lord about you. Why? Because you're doing and will do the work that we're commanding you, the things that we're commanding you to do. It is the evidence that we would point to in our life of God's working in us is that obedience. That is the work of God in us. So we do not obey in and of our own strength. We do so in his strength. Now we come to the result of obedience, and that's this, it's blessing. The result of obedience in our life is blessing. And again, let me be clear. It's not this, if I obey, he's going to bless and there's gonna be some added kind of blessing on top of it. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes in our obedience, God like pours blessing upon that and does that. That's coming someday. Like our presence with him, our, uh, the reward that we're gonna get in obedience to him is coming someday. But the biggest blessing that you and I receive in our obedience to God is that obedience. Here's what I mean by that is that in following the commands and the decrees of the Lord, that is where it will go the very best for you in your life. Have you figured this out yet? Do you know this? I hope you do. I hope you understand this point, is that God's providence in your life, his blessing in your life is his commands for you. There is so much blessing in following the way of the Lord that that is the very best plan and program that you can get on. Hopefully you can look back and you can reflect and you can see that any way that you went on your own, that you went opposed to the way of God, to the working of God, that you saw that that brought suffering and destruction in your life. Because the truth of scripture is this, is that sin brings suffering, obedience brings blessing. Read the book of Proverbs, it is clear throughout that. Sin brings suffering, obedience brings blessing. Why, because we're earning or achieving it? No. It's the obedience itself that is God's blessing. In being obedient to God, we are setting ourselves up for success because his way is the best. It is a declaring, not your will, but mine. Not my way, but yours, God, right? Wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. When we have a proper fear and trembling before the Lord, that is the obedience that leads to blessing in our life. And so I would love to just kind of frame it up as you have two different destinations that you can choose. It's as simple as like turning one way or to the other. You could walk out, get to your car, drive on fish hatchery. You could choose to go right and you're gonna head south and pretty soon you're gonna end up in the country. If you go get in your car and you turn left, you're going to head north on fish hatchery and pretty soon you're gonna end up downtown, right? Two different, very different destinations. You can choose in this illustration which is the blessing And which is the suffering, okay? Some of you would probably answer differently. You're all for the country. You're like, that's where the blessing is. Others of you are like, no way. Give me me the city. Give me downtown. That's where the blessing is. Whatever you want to do with that illustration, my point is this, is that there's two different definitions or destinations in this. 
Obedience leads to God's providence and working in your life. Not because you're earning or achieving anything else, but because in walking in obedience, that is where his protection is. That is where his providence is. That is where his working is. It will go the very best for you when you obey the commands of the Lord. It will go the very worst for you when you disobey. That is the truth of scripture. God loves us. That's why he told us so plainly and clearly that we would respond and see. Hopefully you see this and you know this in your life. That is God's faithfulness in your life. Let me give you the fourth. It's this. It's the Lord's faithfulness displayed by directing our hearts to the love of God. The Lord's faithfulness displayed by directing our hearts to the love of God. Look at what Paul prays for the church there. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfast alignment of Christ. This is the final prayer in this section, that God would direct their hearts. And our understanding of this is uh, directing is tied to our understanding of the calibration of our heart. Do you understand, do you know that our hearts are misaligned, they're miscalibrated? Jeremiah 17, nine is super clear. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? If you ever are told to follow your heart, follow your feelings, that is terrible advice. I heard a friend or had a friend that said, unless you are a Disney princess, that is really bad advice, okay? Do not follow your heart. Why? Because it is desperately, it is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts are misaligned. And in the same way, if you've ever had misaligned tires, wheels on your car, you know if there's maybe like a little pull uh, one way or maybe a little chatter in there, you know how frustrating that can be to drive because you're constantly sort of fighting it back, right? You don't wanna keep that very long. You wanna have alignment so that you can be heading in the place that you're trying to go. And what this is saying, this prayer is so good. It says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. Our hearts are misaligned. They're pulling away. They're forgetting, they're, they're leaving the love of God. They're, 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 they're convinced of the lie that would say that, that I am not worthy of God's love or God's love isn't sufficient for my, uh, my life or, or any of these things, that God's not faithful, that he's not steadfast, that he's abandoned me, that he's left me or my way is better. All these things, our hearts tend to veer. And what he's saying is, may the God who loves you, may he direct your hearts back to the love of Jesus. This is the final prayer here in this section. And so here's what we're gonna do today is we're actually gonna actively apply this. You see, God gave us a way that he directs our heart back to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I'm gonna invite our worship team up and we're going to move into a time of communion. If you're here in the room, uh, you'll find um, the elements of communion, the bread, juice in a little uh, cup in front of you. It's uh, in that little tray in the seat. If you're at home, um, if you were not ready, you can grab some now. But we want to direct our hearts. We want the Lord to direct our hearts now as we take the Lord's Supper together. This is how he realigns our hearts. So you see, he, the Lord Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he set this precedent forward for the church that on a regular basis with a rhythm that we would be reminded of God's grace and his love for us, his body, which was broken for us, his blood, which was shed for us, that is what this is a reminder of. You and I did nothing to achieve this, to earn this in any way, yet he gave his gift of life, his death for us freely to us. 
And so what we're gonna do is, is this. We're gonna hang on to this for a minute. The band's going to lead us in a song. As they do, I would just encourage you to quiet your heart before the Lord. Ask the Lord to, see, to search you. A good question to ask is, God, what sin still remains? Lord, where are you working? Where are you calling me? Where are you convicting me? Lord, what have you paid for that I'm still hanging on to? Would we seek the Lord? Would we ask him? Would you direct our hearts back to your love? Let's quiet our hearts now. Let's listen to the song. Let's prepare our hearts to receive this communion and this reminder of God's love and the steadfast of Christ in our life.